It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Title IX was passed by Congress in 1972. It says that there can't be any discrimination in our country's educational institutions on the basis of sex. I hear young women planning their lives without ever thinking that they can only stay home and have children. That's new. Anniversary of Title IX going on right now. Hear the music. I'm sure there's a lot of guys who are like, "Mm." a lot of incels are mad about that. The progress that women have made. You know, we've got a WNBA team in town. The coach is making a million dollars. The other player is making a pretty good living. Ace is going to be celebrating Title IX this weekend, right? They Sa- are. Saturday, uh, Title IX night. Title IX night. And before that, there's a little bit of a seminar. Our girl Paloma is the moderator. Paloma who? Paloma Villacana. From? Fox. Okay. Five in Las Vegas. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be a little... Title IX night. Uh, and, you know, it's. I, I heard you talking to Xavier, and, and as you just said, you know, we have a coach who's making a million dollars, and the maximum that the WNBA players can make is a little more than a quarter of a billion, and, and that's great. But, you know, we are still way behind the times in, in some of the fairness with women, in particular the salary cap, the fact that they can't make more than that, the fact that they still have to fly commercial airlines with the general public, can't fly a charter flight, got to hope to get you know in and out for road games. The team they're going to be playing on Saturday, the Washington Mystics, they played in L.A. two nights ago. They're playing in Seattle tonight. They'll play in Vegas on Saturday. And in between those three games and five nights, and I think over the last 14 days they played seven games, five of them on the road, they're flying with the public. So, I mean, they're still... A lot of room for growth in 2022 in regards to Title IX. What do you say to people who respond by saying, where's the money coming from for bigger salaries? Well, Big Brother is the NBA, first of all. Uh, Second of all, it can be worked into the collective bargaining agreement in some way, shape, or form because if you have owners – like Mark Davis, that can afford million-dollar contracts. And there are other owners. I know that there are some markets that don't have owners with deep pockets or owners that with the wherewithal, but there is a strong enough pool that something can be done. I don't know what, because that's not my expertise. But... We see the situation that the ladies are in when they have to go overseas. Oh, hello, Brittany Griner. Um, And that's where they're making their big money is during the offseason. They go over there to make their money. This is almost like their secondary money. And then they have their endorsements. So, you know, to to hit the half million, three-quarter million mark, or in someone like Brittany Griner's case or someone like Diana Taurasi, who can go overseas and make a million dollars, to play elsewhere, they have to figure something out. Yeah, equal pay has always been an issue. I mean, I'm not telling, I'm not saying that the WNBA has to up sit around and, and come up with contracts like they do for the NBA. Obviously not, but there could be some help in. Mar- I mean, I think that the the marketing has has grown. I think that the networks have grown. I mean, every other night you're seeing ESPN, ESPN two, you're seeing games are being televised, but. You know, there's broadcasting money, there's advertising, there's money 
I think it all has to be – you have to sit down, sort it out, work it out. But these ladies, uh, you know, it, there has to be progression every offseason. Let's put it that way. Aces, awesome start to the season, but they are coming off a really weird game where they were destroying the sky. 41-18 after one quarter, had a 28-point lead, and what did Becky Hammond say after the game? I mean, they, they just – they relaxed. They did. They, they got complacent, and it's funny because I actually went into um, – Chicago's post-game presser because of a project that I'm working on um, for on Courtney Vandersloot. But, um, you know, she wasn't happy with the effort. She said it was the greatest quarter she probably has ever seen. And then after that, they got their ass kicked, <laughs> point blank. Um, but she also said that it's good for them. Yeah. You know, and it's something that they probably needed because they got complacent. And any time a coach like her who's going to tell you like it is and coaches this team – whether they're down by 20 or up by 20 and coaches them the exact same way and coaches again she doesn't care if it's the last place team or a first place team and if they're up down whatever she is coaching for pure dominating win she is coaching for the players to put their best foot forward they did that for one quarter and the chicago outplayed them they whether it was because we saw them fatigued whether it was because they forgot that the Chicago Sky are the defending WNBA champs. Whether they forgot that Courtney Vandersloot may not be Sue Bird, may not be Diana Taurasi, may not be Kelsey Plum, but she's one of the greatest point guards in WNBA history, the fourth all-time assist leader. And Candace Parker, by the way, a two-time WNBA champion, was also in the mix. Talented roster, Allie Quigley. So they took it for they took. Their lead for granted, they became complacent, and basically Chicago went on their run, Vegas went on their run, and the, so you got to take the other two quarters, and basically Chicago outplayed them, period. End of story. You mentioned pay and marketing earlier. Who's the most marketable player on the Aces? Asia Wilson, no doubt. You know that gets Kelsey Plum? No. No. Asia Wilson, just because she was a national champion, she's got the statue in front of the South Carolina, she's been an MVP you know, the Olympic team, Kelsey's on the Olympic team, you know, on the three versus three, but I think Asia, she's the face of the franchise. She's the star. They were both number one picks, but Asia Wilson, if, if you're going to pick somebody to market from that team, I think first it's Asia. Now, this season, you could argue that any one of the three, Asia, Jackie, Will, uh, Jackie Young, or Kelsey Plum, have played like MVP candidates. I think Jackie Young at this point still to this moment, has the most improved player locked up. Um, I think Kelsey Plum could easily challenge if, if you were to say, okay, well, who on the Aces could vie for the league MVP title? I think it could be either one, whereas Asia could get defensive player. I mean, like let's say the Aces go on a, just a crazy run. They win the whole thing. They just dominate from this point forward. It, it would, it's conceivable that Asia Wilson could get Defensive Player of the Year. Jackie Young could get Most Improved, and Kelsey Plum could get MVP. The way that the way that they play, but marketing wise, Asia Wilson. All right, what does what if I throw this in there? What does a Kelsey Plum Darren Waller partnership do for her marketing? You caught up with Kelsey Plum after the game the other night and tried before to ask the about the check that before the game um, and talk to her. For the longest time, mm -hmm. Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf have been Las Vegas' power sports couple. Red carpet picture comes no out comment. from the title. <laughs> that was it. She was out. That was she it. She asked about the picture. No comment. 
to Randolph and started, started stretching. All right. It's an interesting concept. I mean, marketing-wise, you bring up marketing. It's an interesting concept. Well, it is. I mean, because Darren Waller. Well, I don't think I was talking about like a. You just. Like a, I meant when I said a partnership, I think I meant more beyond, you know, a business partnership. Are we not going there? Were you talking about marketing? Is that because we were talking about marketing? You said, what What if I throw this out at you? Yes. A Plum Waller partnership. Yes. Okay. From a marketing standpoint. I have a partnership with my significant other. You do? Yes. Oh. Why is she not down here pitching us? <laughs> get the SO down here pitching the show. Let's go. We got tickets to get. We got, as a matter of fact, by the way, shameless plug, we have Liberty Aces tickets right here on the on the dais. So. Silver Sevens, Flamingo and Paradise. Yeah. So what's going on with these two? Well, from my understanding, so ever since you put the poll out the other day, um, Darren Waller, Kelsey Plum, they were on. There was the Title IX event last weekend. They were on the red carpet. Um, did a little more research. There was something that came up in twenty October twenty twenty one. I think that he escorted her somewhere. They were seen somewhere. So they've been seen in public, but they're you know the thing is. Before they even got here, Kelsey Plum was always secretive, very, very secretive. She's not the, – the, I mean, the most thing that she's sort of public about on her Instagram is like her fashion statement she makes. All the girls, all the ladies do it. When they show up at the arena, they have a photographer that, you know, they, they, they do the walk down the hallway. There's a specific spot. They do a final picture. And Kelsey Plum – is always, I mean, they're all dressed to the nines. I, I, I don't want to single her out, but you're asking me about her. So outside of that, she's vi- always been private. There was word a long time ago that she, she had a longtime bur- boyfriend named Josh that she was married. I don't know if that was ever true, and it's none of my – I'm not, I'm not going to go out, hey, weren't you married? You know, and I think that the, if it was true, like they were friends or boy, long-time relationship out of college, and there was a – you know, I read somewhere that she was married. I don't know if that was ever true. But it, I mean, the the look on Kelsey's face, she knew where I was going. We have a great working relationship. She kind of just gave me that smile. After she goes, no comment. She ran off and she went and did her workout. Do I think it's true? I mean, Darren Waller two games ago. I mean, Kelsey hit a dagger three at some point. It was like a big one. He gets up and he mimics like a rifle, like he was shooting it, like a like you know, like the sharpshooter. And I mean, but he's up. If Asia does that, he's a big fan. Now I did hear that he went on the road. Oh, he did. He's someone, going. He's going to road games now. Someone told me he was on the road, but the ticket list he was using Derricka Hamby's tickets. Now I don't know if that was a decoy oh, okay. or if she said, "Hey, I have somebody. Maybe she has some. Maybe she has a friend or someone else who's using Derricka and can Darren use her." I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, we're just reaching and stretching and Does trying he go to, to the, is his is his name on the list like Travis Kelsey? Is he really trying to go undercover? On what list? Road games? Yes. I don't know. That, I just heard that the other night. This guy plays tight end in the NFL. Yeah, uh, that looks like Darren Waller. He said he's Travis Kelsey. Huh. So the, the other weird thing you had a, the, the other part of the conversation you had with Kelsey Plum. You said she's very private. I don't get. She gave you no comment on her future. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. I mean, do whatever you want. I. I guess within, within reason, not to distract the team, but you're you're thinking what she could be a hot commodity for the Storm. Well, there was a story that came out earlier that day from the Seattle Times, and I'm assuming she's still got contacts back there. She was obviously, you know, she's the all-time career points leader, scoring leader in women's college basketball history. She starred at Washington in Seattle. Sue Bird comes out and announces that this is going to be her last season. 
The two top targets that the Storm would go after are two women that are going to be unrestricted free agents. Kelsey Plum, who starred in Seattle. She's from San Diego. That's that's good for Plum. We were just talking five minutes ago about... You know, money, this is, you got a short shelf life, and if you don't want to have to freaking go play internationally, then try to get top dollar, right? Yeah, and I think she was on a four year contract worth, uh, I think it was, it's paying her like 140,000 a year, so she could easily hit 200. Off the season she's having now, see, and you're losing Sue Bird, she could get paid if she went there. She's got a built in fan base. Now, the other target was who happened to be playing opposite her the other night, and that's Courtney Vandersloot, a Kent Washington native. And a st- former star at Gonzaga, three-time West Coast Conference uh, Player of the Year. One of Gonzaga's most beloved women's basketball players. Now, I talked to her about it, and she was wide open. And she said, I said, is this something that you're open to discuss uh, in terms of your, you know, further in your career? You're, you're on a partner, a, a package deal with your wife, Allie Quigley. You know, she said, Absolutely, I've thought about it because that's why I met with them during the offseason. That was like actually a rumor. She came out and told me the other day for my yeah, story. I'm right. Go. She goes, no, I met with them out during the offseason. She goes, because that's what you do, and it's, obvi- it's an obvious move to go home. That's a special place. She said, but I made the commitment to play with Chicago. My heart is with Chicago, and when you win one, you finally win one, something that was elusive for so long with her. When you win one, you want to get that second one. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. we got baseball going on. You can bet at the Sportsbook. Game's about to start in the uh, 4 o'clock hour. Yankees and the Astros. Yankees with uh, Jamison Tyon on the mound. 135 favorites. Final from earlier in the day, Willie. The Dodgers on the road sweep. The Reds, and even without Mookie, uh, Mookie Betts, wow. Scoreless first inning for the Dodgers. Then every inning from there, they scored a run. They won 10-5. They hit five home runs. Uh, Freddie Freeman is starting to light it up. And uh, Bellinger actually had a good day. He went three for four with a home run. So home runs from Freeman, Will Smith, Muncie, Bellinger, and Trace Thompson, brother of Clay Thompson. He's bounced around a little bit. You he's, uh, he's been with three organizations this year, but now he's up with the Dodgers. You want an interesting baseball betting note? So today it didn't work because the Reds lost. But I went back last week, and I literally went through every single day, every score, up until a certain point. I, I, I Basically the closing number. $100 better if you bet. On the biggest dog every single day this season, you're up money. Really? Yeah. Wow. And and the record is like <laughs> ridiculously like you know well behind under 500. Yeah, of course. But the numbers are so big there. I mean, there are, there are mediocre teams that right on some nights against the horrific teams are laying 210, 220, 230. Right. So today the Reds were the biggest dog. So they'll be, so they so that's minus 100. Right. So for the month of June. You're down $243. But for the year, April, May, and June, you're up $522. Just every day, $100, biggest underdog. Just, so if you start with 100 if you started the month of April, with the, it would have cost you 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 1,000 minus around about $600. And then you would have just start 
then you would have filtered your money back, and then now you're just recycling a, a C note to to a hundred to two hundred dollars. There was a run in late May, one, two, and one, six and three, eight and three, eight of the last eleven biggest underdogs in May hit, and then prior to Tuesday. Five straight underdogs, the biggest dog on the card for June, bolstered the, the profit. 211, 232, 220, and back-to-back $170 days. I'm doing it the rest of the season. Uh, there's I season. better win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, upsets. I don't know that this is like a gigantic upset because technically they're going to the SEC eventually, but I think a, a lot of people would have assumed that Arch Manning, the son of Cooper Manning, the nephew of Eli and Peyton, would be going to a traditional SEC power. Uh, he chose Texas. You know, Alabama took a quarterback like a month ago, so that was handwriting on the wall there that they weren't going to get him. So I guess 3-2-1, when does Nick Saban start, you know, skewering Texas like he did to Texas A&M? But, yeah, Arch Manning, 2023 number one player in the country, quarterback. I'm sure he's getting some sort of big NIL deal. We already know Bijan Robinson's got. Uh, does he have a Lambo deal? I think it's a Lambo deal. Is your running back? But yeah, the new Manning stud quarterback, Texas. Well, a couple of factors there. I mean, Uncle uh, Uncle Peyton went to Tennessee. Uncle Eli went to Ole Miss, right? Yep. So I mean, Grandpa went to Ole Miss. Grandpa went to Ole Miss. So the reality is, I mean. They're not Saban fans, obviously. They're, so Alabama, LSU, Georgia, like they're out. They're not going to Florida. Florida, Tennessee. I mean, in a sense, if, if, they're, if they're, it's a football tight-knit family, it's a quarterback-rich family, right, between Cooper, Archie, Peyton, Eli, they're going to be tight-knit. It's kind of like the movie Blindside, right, where, where in Sandra Bullock with Michael Orr is like, you're not going here. Oh, I'll have to tough to it, right? Philip Fuller, Fulmer shows up. She didn't want it. I'm not wearing that burnt orange. But I think that the process of elimination from just sort of being raised and growing up around two uncles like that and the schools, Austin is a hotbed right now. Everybody's moving to Austin. I, I, I literally, we, I mean, I know probably five to eight people that went to school with Jordan around that time frame that have moved to Austin and have started successful businesses. Now this kid's going to play football, but it's just, it's a play, you know, it's a play. It's, it's, it's an iconic school. So yeah, maybe he could bring back the, not only bring back some, some uh, success to Texas, but a little lively gamesmanship to the Red River rivalry. Right. Well, it's a hell of a storyline. As they go into the SEC in a couple of years, I think they're going to bump it up. Right now, they're due to go to the SEC in 2025, so it adds that flair to it. it the other interesting thing is uh, this kid, Quinn Ewers, who started out at Ohio State in high school, signed an NIL deal. He never got a sniff at Ohio State because they have a quarterback who's a lot better and you know ready to play right now. So now Quinn Ewers is in line to compete for the Texas job, and next year, true freshman Arch Manning walks on campus. Sorry, pal. Sound familiar? It's going to happen everywhere. You know, the, these schools are going to stack quarterbacks. That's what you do at a great school. And it is one of the great challenges now, the top 25 schools, to actually have a backup quarterback who sticks around for more than a year because they're going to have opportunities to bail, you know, with the transfer portal and NIL. So I don't know what Quinn Ewers is going to do now. And people were joking immediately that the kid already, you know, bailed on competing at Ohio State where he wasn't going to get the job again this year. And now what the hell does he do? And that, you know, is he, I, I just I wonder if there was parents call up 
Sarkeesian, and they're like, well, what are you doing? Like, hey, we're going to compete. We're not going to have one quarterback on the roster. That's just the way it's going to work. I'm going to have to convince Cole that he's going to have to, you know, get on board with the black and silver here and not the Pats. That, that'll that be a challenge because, hey, he's a New England kid, right? So he's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him he can have the Red Sox, but you got to give up the Pats. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. VGK coach Bruce Cassidy on the way back there talking about adjusting to Vegas life. We got the NBA Summer League coming to town here in just a couple of weeks. They're back uh, for nearly 20 years. This is crazy. And, it, you know, the NBA Summer League is one of the reasons, along with Bill Foley and VGK and, you know, the NFL landing here with the Raiders, that we have a serious chance at an NBA team sometime in the next, you know, seven, eight, ten years. The Summer League starts on July 17th, NBA 2K23 Summer League. July 7th to the 17th, right here in Vegas. Tickets are on sale, UNLVTickets.com. 11 days, 75 games, all 30 teams. Tickets start at 40 bucks. Uh, the guys who are drafted tonight, unless there's an injury, are all but guaranteed to be playing throughout. They might shut them down halfway, but the, this is where you're going to see these guys for the first time You know, go way back. I remember seeing at the very beginning Chris Paul in his first year. <laughs> and I always joke, I saw Chris Paul, and I was like, eh. I don't think he has it. Well, it turned out he had, he had an ankle in that summer league and shows what I know about basketball. He's turned out to be one of the all-time point guards in the history of the league. UNLVtickets.com. Uh, also, we'll send out the link for this one. They've got a, a bunch of VIP experiences that you can uh, enter to try and win. So check that out at ESPN Las Vegas up on Twitter. Good stuff. And you love the summer league. I know you're going to be out there the entire time. And I'll be running the company. <laughs> yes, you will. All right, let's talk about I just mentioned the Golden Knights were one of the reasons that, you know, we uh, we have a chance at the NBA. You know, Bill Foley and VGK really paved the way for, uh, a, you know, more openness towards Vegas. It's Cofield. It's Willie. Bruce Cassidy is a new coach of the Golden Knights, and he's up with us here on this Thursday. Coach, how you doing? I'm good, Stephen. Willie, how are you guys doing? We're very good. We're very good. good. So we were just talking about the history of sports here in Las Vegas, and it's crazy uh, I've been doing sports talk here since uh, the late 90s, and everything is, has changed. When uh, you know, Going back, you know, whatever it was, six, seven years now, when you found out that Vegas would have an NHL team, what was your initial reaction? Well, I was a little surprised that um, Vegas is not known as a hockey hotbed. Obviously, that's changed. They've got a real great fan base. Um, and being from Canada, you know, I'm always thinking maybe they'll go back to, like, Quebec or, or something like that. But uh, at the end of the day, I thought it was a – and still do obviously a great fit um, geographically and and just period they got a great hockey team so good for the NHL. So Bruce, I have to ask you with that, um, you know, you obviously said you, you, you you're unexpected. I think you and Pete had dang near the same comments in your introductory press conferences, and that you didn't expect to be let go. But then you, you're ready to get back on the grind. You're ready to get back to work. Vegas calls. What is enticing about Las Vegas and specifically this franchise? Uh, I think the first five years, how, how quickly they've gotten to the, the uh, I won't say top of the mountain, but very close. I think as a coach, you always want to win, so that that's personnel-driven. I think the the players that have kind of laid the foundation there, you still got a group of those guys. They've added free agents, so you got a market that people are willing to go to. Um, you know, they've made bold moves to acquire top-end talent. So I think for a coach, all of those things are are, are exciting. Uh, then you walk in the building. I mean, I've been there as a visitor with the Bruins, 
um, and, and just the, you know, the enthusiasm and sort of the energy that's generated. So I think all those things are, are kind of what makes it enticing to everyone. Yeah, I think at all levels of sports, it, it, you know, a lot of the winning starts from the top down. If you're admin, your owner, your, you know, the, the top boss isn't into it, then you're going to be limited. Bill Foley is into it. I mean, he is a hard-charging dude. How much have you had a chance to talk to Mr. Foley, and, and what was your impression in, you know, in terms of his desire to win? Well, I mean, I was I obviously met him, interviewed with him, and then, uh, had dinner with him, and a terrific man, um, very down-to-earth, uh, basically spells out sort of his vision of, of where he sees the team going, what he wants, uh, and then puts all his, you know, and, and backs it up, I guess, for an owner, and, he, and he's, He's local, you know, you see him, he's around the team um, in a good way. You know, some, some, I think there's some ownership out there that gets really involved. I think Bill seems to be, again, I'm new, so yeah. a guy that allows uh, people, he hires people, good people to do their jobs and let them do it. That's what I've seen so far in my short time, and that's all anybody can ask for. In, in regards to... George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, you know, you, you, you always hear the scuttlebutt after the fact, right? Gerard Gallant was beloved here. There's still fans. I think they were cheering for the Rangers um, in the playoffs. Peter DeBoer. You know, it's only after the fact that you hear that, well, maybe they weren't doing things the way that maybe Kelly and George wanted things done. When you come in as a prospective coach and they lay their demands, and this is what we see, and this is what we want. As a coach of your caliber, do you turn around and sort of say, well, this is how I do things? Do you sort of, maybe not demands, but do you also set your standards, and this is how I'm going to be doing things, and, and there has to be a mutual respect? Well, you said it, mutual respect, right? I mean, you go through that process in the interview. Um, you know, they have accomplished stuff uh, as management in the league. I've accomplished some things as a coach. So right away you have – you know, two parties that have had some level of success, so that's a good thing. And then you, you exchange your ideas. What's the vision of the team? Um, and then they'll ask, well, you know, what's your style of player? How, how do you attack this element, et cetera? So I, I think there's a connection typically when you're interview right away. You tend to speak the same language with with, with people that, you know, you, you want to work for. Other ones don't quite go that way, so that's the way I'm looking at it. No, I'm not going to demand um, – you know, uh, specifics. I think you have to be true to yourself and true to what you believe in works and what wins. So, I mean, I'm sure I'll do that. And then, and then you adjust as you go along, uh, depending on the personnel, depending on obviously philosophy of the organization and, you know, and, and do what's right for everybody at the end. Now, will there be some disagreements along the way? I, I think there is at every level, not unique to hockey, football, you know, basketball, baseball, whatever. You're going to have some of that. I anticipate some of that, but to me, at the end of the day, hockey, you know, you're on the same page when the puck drops. Uh, that's the way I look at it, and hopefully that's the way it plays out. Talking to brand-new Vegas Golden Knights coach Bruce Cassidy. Appreciate you joining the show. Bruce, I, I asked Kelly during the introductory press, I don't know if you remember, but I, and I was trying to get it out, and I, I think he may have misconstrued what I was saying because he said something about, well, you don't cross those things over. In terms of the cap in the roster, because – you both had mentioned the next step is putting the staff together, and then I said in regards to the salary cap, do you now sort of look at the roster to fit the cap based on Bruce's style of coaching, or is it based on the numbers and this is what we can do, and then here's what you have to work with? And, I, and he, he answered it, and I, it, I took it as if he was answering, well, you don't cross one with the other like his – like the coaches counted against the cap. That's how I took it. I don't know if that's how he meant it. 
So I'm going to ask you, when now that you're in and your staff gets put together, as you sort of deal with the salary cap, is it based on your system, your style of coaching? You just got done saying, they ask you, what's your style? No, I think a lot of it is the personnel is already in place, right? There's a few moving parts. There's always expiring contracts. There's always, um, you know, a, a maybe interest in a certain free agent. And, and yeah, I think they, you know, they should. Um, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, I can, I can then get them to play the style that, that I like. But I also have to adjust the personnel. And, and you have to allow players to play to their strengths. So you may have to tweak both. And I think... You know, Kelly and George going in, I'm sure they interviewed a number of guys and looked at their personnel. They know their team better than anybody and said, okay, who's going to be a good fit? Who can coach this team the way it needs to play and make the adjustments that are necessary going forward and, and build on the strengths that were achieved by, by both, you know, Peter and, and, and Turk. And, and essentially the players are the ones that play. I think that's how you look at it personally. Um, so I'm going to go in and get to know them. They're going to get to know me. I think there is some common things, though, Willie, when it comes to winning and winning in the playoffs that I think every coach believes in, and those are the things we're going to stress. And that's typically, you know, an area of resiliency. To be able to win when you're not filling the net or scoring goals or getting the right calls, you got to be able to win those games in the playoffs and then still sort of be a you know high-energy team. So I think that's how we're, we're looking at it. And that's probably what, what Kelly was I, – I can't remember exactly how he answered um, – you know, but usually any question that comes about the cap usually goes right to the GM. Coaches aren't really – well, they're not. They're not involved in that. They have an opinion on players, but after that it goes upstairs and they make, you know, sort of the best decisions for the organization. We have a lot of fans asking, uh, hey, what's Bruce Cassidy's magic formula to get the power play going? I, I know I know you like talking about it. Well, yeah, I do. And until you get to know the players where they're most comfortable, but – we will move people around. I think you have to be able to, you've got to be flexible as a player, too. It can't be just your way or the highway. I don't think that works. Um, there has to be some different looks, different sets. We'll start with the ones that you know, we feel have worked in the past, and we'll build on some ones that, that we feel can you know, help the group uh, be successful. I think there's a little bit of philosophy about uh, puck recovery, about where the play should start. There's always some things that will differ from coach to coach on that second effort around the front of the net um you know whether you have a net presence slot presence or you're a big shot presence from the top there's i think different things that power plays use but we will be more around the net i'm hoping that we'll generate a lot in tight because we have bigger body guys that can play there we have some guys that get the puck there so that that's how we're going to start and see where it goes bruce cassidy with us a new vgk head coach nice enough to join cofield and company here on this thursday what are july's like for you normally and is it different this year because you have a new job july's are typically uh, an 11 year old son that's a baseball player so i'm usually the first base coach on the team uh, love it uh it's the cal ripton playoffs and they have kind of a base state league so no stress at all you just go out and enjoy a bunch of 11 year olds that like each other play some ball um we're up in cape cod i don't know if you're familiar with that it's an area south of, of boston along the ocean so um, we kind of wind down here. I'm a golfer. My son likes to, you know, play a little bit and fish. My daughter's in the water all the time. So probably just relaxing like that, you know, and kind of dipping your toe in the sort of the hockey business because it is a downtime, and, and I think everybody needs it. It's a long year. Um, you know, you, I don't know if your mind ever shuts off, but I try to shut mine off in, in a little bit in July and August if I can. By the way, your son's moving into a market that is baseball crazy, especially considering all the major leaguers we've uh, we've now got at pretty young ages. 
Well, that's great. He's a lefty. He pitches, so that's nice. good. He, you know, uh, he's got an advantage right there. He wants to play shortstop. No one will let him. He doesn't understand why. I'm trying to tell him, but anyway, he's uh, he's pitching in first base. That's it, I guess. You, uh, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. I saw you. Uh, I saw you talking to Ashley Vice uh, the other day, and I noticed that you were, you know, you were going through the family. And you mentioned your wife, Julie, from Jersey, right? Where in New Jersey? She's from uh, Bergen County, uh, nice. upper, upper Saddle River. Very nice, very nice. I am. Uh, I'm actually from the Jersey Shore, around like uh, Monmouth County. Uh, you said she was a runner in her background. No, she doesn't play a lot of sports. So, but yeah. if she does, she likes to get out and move around and run. So, um, but their family used to hang at the shore uh, all the time. There you oh, go. There you go. Um, uh, when they were younger. So I think that sisters and brothers still go there in the summer. We don't. We tend to hang out. So I got. I got to ask you this, uh, Timo. Timo Meyer, after the Sharks put a dagger in the Vegas playoffs ho- uh, hopes. He, had, he was quoted in saying plenty of players reached out to him, texted him, um, because of so much animosity with the Golden Knights' success and their amazing five-year run. They were glad that they knocked him out. Was that feeling in Boston, too? Did you have to sort of rid yourself of that now that you're a Golden Knight? No, I, I, I think that's more Western-based, honestly. I mean, we're kind of at a distance, right, so we don't see it firsthand. The problem when you're out east, you don't even get to see teams play at night unless you want to stay up half the night. So, um I was kind of enjoying it. I thought it was kind of neat. A new team comes in. So I think that's more Western-based. Didn't bother me at all. Um, and I guess people have said that uh, in the last couple of weeks. I didn't realize that. But I'll tell you, I'm used to it. Cause, you know, Boston fans, I don't think they go over too well when they travel either. So uh, the Bruins, I don't think, are at the top of everyone's list either. Coach, we appreciate it. Get yourself to safety. There's an alarm going off, so I want to make sure you're okay. Oh. <laughs> Something's burning in the oven. I think it's a pizza. Oh, no! <laughs> All right, go, go tend to the oven. We appreciate a couple minutes. Thank you so much. Congrats right. on the new gig. There he is, Bruce Cassidy. That was Kelly with it. That was the that's that's the that's the signal. Okay, interview over. That was it. I didn't like the Willie question. <laughs> it's done. Challenge me on the answer. <laughs> By the way, his kids play baseball. His daughter plays field hockey. Is there, like, widespread field hockey for the the Utes around Vegas? And she's also, I saw that she's into lacrosse. I don't know that we're really a lacrosse city, are we? You know what? Couple spots? Well, we got that pro team coming, but um, so I am close friends with somebody. Um, They're they're chiropractors, fiancés, right? They're going to be married. It's my chiropractor, but her fiancé is a coach like club lacrosse is growing in this town huge men uh girls and boys men and women so no it's a it's these alternate sports are big hanging at the william hill sportsbook inside silver sevens it's cofield and company do you think bruce cassidy were they, were they in the kitchen were they baking something the alarm went off we were talking to bruce cassidy vgk Maybe. coach yeah. And uh, we got a good 11 minutes with him, and then the alarm went, and I was kind of concerned, like, hey, you, you got to get the hell out of there. He's up in Cape Cod. Do you think they're making – maybe he's making those – baking those little – you know those little cheddar biscuits that you get What's it, at, the, at the fish joint here in town, you know, with the, the seafood? But it's like a it's like a seafood there, right? Cape so Cod. now we need to get him on again to get his we recipe need, for cheddar biscuits. We need to find out. And the only other thing that we didn't get a chance to ask him because the alarm was going off or it was the, the, the bat signal from Kelly McCrimmon saying interview over um, <laughs> is I want to find out if he's convinced his baseball son 
to be a Raider fan because he brought that up in the he press did. conference. I don't think he, you, you can't switch. Curtis Terry's with us, former UNLV player, one of the voices of UNLV basketball. I mean, Curtis, you know, went to UNLV, lives here in Vegas. He's still a Seattle Seahawks fan. You can't change, right? Like once you're like 11 or 12 when you're a football fan in the NFL? I mean, some people do. I'm not one of those guys. I'm loyal to the soil. I'm going to stick with the Seahawks, um, and especially even more so now that my cousin Ron Miles is with the with the Colts. Um, I'll, I'll quietly cheer for the Raiders, but but no more loud, boisterous cheers for me. <laughs> I like it. Quietly cheer for the Raiders. Very nice. So what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, man. Um, just uh, I've been spending some time kind of trying to focus on myself. Uh, I think I want to hit on is. Is June is the month of men's mental health awareness, um, and for me personally, it's been a, a trying year. And I just want everybody to to let everybody know it's okay to not be okay. Uh, make sure you take care of yourselves first, um, and just we all need to focus on trying to be the best versions of ourselves possible, so that way we can give our best to others. Um, but with that said, I, I'm doing good today. This is a show that embraces mental health. I know Willie, you talk about it all the time. It's uh, Curtis. I have it's okay to not be okay tattooed on my arm. Oh, I like that one. I might so have to copy a, that one. I'm a very big advocate of it. Um, and, well, I'm not going to – yesterday was a very trying day for me personally, and I'm very big on not outside of June making sure that men know specifically that it's okay to to talk, find somebody, you know, because it's, it's, it's very hard for them to sort of find those emotions when they're going through trying times. But yesterday was a three-year anniversary of one of my closest friends of over 30 years that he decided that that was it. He was checking out. And um, – we we did the things back in the day in the in the mid 80s and, and all the the old school nightclubs in old vegas i don't want to get too into it but it was a, so yesterday i had a long message on my instagram story so i'm right there with you brother we had a long talk about this last week um uh steve allowed me to take a take a bit of a of a segment during during one of the hours and, and just talk a little bit about it for about uh five ten minutes so i appreciate you no that's awesome and, and sorry for your loss i know those things are tough i think it's it was huge when kevin love came out a few years ago and and kind of talked about his breakdown on the court with the Cavs. Um, and there's always been a stigma around kind of men and being tough and, and not showing emotions or talking about their feelings. Um, but I think it's, it's time for, for that kind of that stigma or that, that thought to be, to be flipped around so that way everybody can be comfortable in their own skin being themselves. Uh, but again, so that way as a society, we can, we can be the best and, and love thy neighbor. So, Curtis, let's uh, transition to the NBA draft here for like 90 seconds, and then I know you're going to hold through the break. Um, these are these are gigantic days, and you know, obviously, uh, you played basketball. Your your brother Jason was a longtime NBA player. I wonder what it's like. I mean, all these guys are going to make out well, but I wonder what it's like waiting today to find out if you're the number one pick for the top candidates: Van Caro and Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren. You're asking the wrong guy, Steve. I've got no <laughs> idea what it's like. <laughs> well, but you talk you talk to, you talk to NBA players, and the journey to get to the NBA is a really interesting one. Right, no, for sure. Um, I, I think for me, I mean, uh, I came out in 2008, um, unfortunately got injured, w was not fortunate enough to hear my name called, uh, but that's the way the, the cookie crumbles sometimes. But I think uh, it's kind of the culmination for a lot of these guys because that's their, their dream growing up, right? You want to be a professional basketball player, NFL, MLB, um, and, and to see all your hard work pay off, uh, especially for these guys to where they've known it's just been a matter of time, like Paulo, like Chet. Um, like Jabari, it's just a matter of getting there. Um, and some of those other guys, I mean, talk about Donovan Williams, Bryce Hamilton, guys that kind of have to scratch and claw um, to try to see if they can get within that top 60 to be drafted on draft day. Uh, so it's definitely an exciting time for those guys. Uh, definitely one of my favorite days, more so even than the NFL draft, because that's a whole weekend. Uh, but I think it's going to be fun tonight to see some guys live out their childhood dreams, get to walk across that stage and, and shake the commissioner's hand. Who's your choice to be the number one pick? 
I mean, well, I guess a, a Woj bomb dropped and it wasn't really a secretive bomb that, that Jabari is going to be the number one pick to the Magic and Chet's going to go too. Me personally, I like Paulo Boncaro. Obviously, he's this guy from Seattle, uh, but I think it's it's a matter of his his total skill set. What you saw him at do at Duke, um, especially in that game against Gonzaga at T-Mobile right after Thanksgiving. I had the, the privilege to be there, and uh, he was a pro from day one. He can handle the ball. He can play and operate out of the post. Um, he, he can create for his teammates, knock down shots in transition. I mean, he's got the pro physique as long, along with the skill set. But again, it just matters of who you've got on your roster to who's that piece is going to be that fits. And I don't know if he would fit necessarily with that group in Orlando um, because they've already got Wagner. Wagner. Um, they've already got uh, some other players in terms of Jalen Suggs. So I think it's going to be a good spot for him uh, to go to Houston because uh, they've got a young, exciting backcourt um, and some guys that they'll be able to grow with and, and kind of make some noise. And they lose they lose a C. Wood out of there uh, when he got traded to the Mavs. Well, well, I want to talk about Chris Wood. I want to also talk about a, a commit UNLV just got. Curtis, sit tight. We'll carry you through the break. Curtis Terry comes back with us, former Rebel players. We're getting ready for the draft. The first pick should be around uh, 30, 35 minutes away.